Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we will study God's Word. Good morning. My name is Randy Young. I'm the transition lead pastor at Peninsula Covenant Church. <laughs> I apologize for misspeaking last week. Obviously, I lost my mind. There are three important dynamics to every relationship and every event uh, in the world there are facts, there are conclusions. And there are responses. And that's a grid I want to offer you today through which to understand what I'm about to uh, say to you this morning about Easter. It's going to be a little bit different. Uh, I served uh, as an adjunct professor for Fuller Theological Seminary for about 15 years. And so this first part is going to feel a little bit like a classroom. But it's going to really feel like a message later on. What are facts? Let me give you facts, conclusions, response. Let me give you an example. Mother, father, six-year-old girl. Father dies. Mom and daughter is left alone. Mom finds a new man. They get married. The man adopts the daughter. And mom and dad have a new child. Those are the facts. What are the conclusions? Well, conclusions could be, um, let's see. Conclusion could be that, oh, talking about the adoption. The adoption, the man adopted the little girl because he really loved her, fell in love with her. The father adopted because he loved her mother. The father adopted because it was just the right thing to do. Or the father could have adopted, gritting his teeth, thinking, I gotta do this. Okay? Those are conclusions that you could make out of that. What is the response? Well, there could be a response from the father, it could be a response from the mother, it could be a response from the little girl. Let's look at it through the little girl's eyes. The little girl, if she believes that the father has, new father has adopted her because he loves her, she feels cherished and treasured, and she will live into that, and she will flourish. Look at the other end of it, and she perceives that the father has gritted his teeth, can hardly stand her in the, in the house, She's going to respond very differently. She's going to harbor resentment, and she's going to be angry, and she's going to store up things and and, uh, uh, live, um, you know, do some things that were probably not good things to do and blow things up at an important time down the road. Easter is about facts, conclusions, and how you respond. Today's text comes from uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 17 through 27. We finished the uh, sermon series on the seven I am statements. Today, it is I am the resurrection. On his arrival, Jesus found that 
Lazarus has already been dead in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Will you pray with me? Oh, Lord, our God, we come before you because you've called us here to come and to worship you. Especially on this Easter day when we remember one of the great three miracles of all time. Creation, the birth of the Son, and the death or resurrection of the Son. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together not only be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, but may they affirm us in the places where we can be affirmed May we be comforted in those places where we need to be comforted. And may we be challenged in those places where we need to be challenged. And hide me behind you, Lord, because I know it is you whom they have come to hear. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord. And the people of God said, Amen. This morning I want to talk about a case study of a murder that happened 99 years ago, 1924 in Chicago. It was a very famous murder and a murder trial afterwards. Uh, it was known as the Leopold Loeb case. There were two young men who were charged with murder. Leopold and Loeb are really interesting people because they grew up in the same neighborhood of uh, Chicago. And they were very bright, both of them. They both came from Jewish families, although they were not practicing Jews in the sense of their faith. They came from very wealthy families. Um, Leopold's uh, father was a box manufacturer, a millionaire then. Uh, Loeb's uh, father was a lawyer for Sears and Roebuck uh, back when it was uh, in its heyday. They both went to private schools in, uh, uh, in the neighborhood. They didn't really know each other uh, because they went to different private schools. They both graduated early from high school. They, all, they both graduated early from college. 
Uh, Loeb graduated from the University of Michigan at the age of 17, which at the time was the youngest person to have ever graduated from uh, Michigan. Loeb graduated from the University of Chicago, one of the elite schools in the country. And they met each other and became friends when they were students at the Chicago School of Law. And they really took to one another. And it was a time in which uh, Leopold was really, really smart. His IQ was measured above 200. Uh, he was a, or, or a, a bird watcher. <laughs> Whatever the technical term is. He also knew uh, about eight languages, uh, knew many of them fluently. And so they got together. And so he was enamored by Nietzsche and the Ubermenschen. The idea of the superman, a man who was above and smarter than anyone else and therefore were not uh, held liable to the laws of simple men like you and me. So as they got together, they began to think, yeah, we are super, we are better, we can do what we want and get away with it because we are superior. So they started vandalizing, doing petty robberies uh, and, and burglaries. And then they got to a place where they wanted to commit the perfect crime, which was to murder and to get away with it. They planned it for seven months, and it was very elaborate. And on the day that they uh, committed the murder, they um, rented a car so, uh, and went around the neighborhood looking for a suspect, someone that they wanted to kill. And their Person of choice wasn't in school that day because of a dental appointment. And so they found a boy, 14 years old, named Bobby Franks, who happened to be Richard Loeb's distant cousin. They compelled him to get into the car to give him a ride home. He was sitting shotgun, Leopold was driving, and Loeb was in the back. And when he was in the front seat, Loeb reached over and the, with the back of the chisel, bludgeoned him to death pulled him over the seat and kept bludgeoning him, stuck a towel in his mouth, put him on the floor, and basically suffocated him. They buried his body in a culvert in Indiana, stopped for dinner on the way home, sent a ransom note to the parents, and thought they had gotten away with it. The problem was that uh, Nathan Leopold uh, was near blind. and had a very special pair of glasses. And they found this pair of glasses out in the middle of nowhere. It looks like that. It had a very special hinge on it. The glass, the optometrists who uh, sold those glasses had only sold three of those in all of Chicago. The other two had alibis, and they came to them. Long story short, they arrested Leopold and Loeb, and they ended up confessing and then blaming the other. Loeb's father, being a lawyer, hired another lawyer who was to become really famous the year after, a man by the name of Clarence Darrow, who uh, defended uh, Mr. Scopes in the Scopes monkey trial in, Chicago, in uh, Missouri. Darrow looked at, that, at the evidence, and it was pretty rock solid. So he comes back to Leopold and Loeb and says, hey, listen, here are your choices. You can plead innocent, and I will defend you, but 
if you are found guilty, you will most certainly get the death penalty. You will die. However, if you plead guilty and throw yourself on the mercy of the court, in the history of Illinois, no judge ever gave the death sentence. Your choice. A lot of you are thinking, what in the world does that have to do with us? The fact of the matter is that we are sinful people. We have fallen short of the glory of God. We live in a culture in which we like to blame other people for our travails. We live in a, a time where there's social media in which uh, with anonymity we can yell and scream and try to shame other people and point away from us. I didn't ask you. <laughs> um, but we are sinful. The, the, the scripture says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. G.K. Chesterton, a Catholic theologian in um, Great Britain, responded to a question in one of the lo- uh, daily newspapers in London which asked, what's wrong, with the, uh, what's wrong with the world today? And he wrote back and responded. He said, dear sirs, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. He understood that he was a sinful person and he needed forgiveness. We are sinful people whether we recognize sin or talk about sin or not. We have not lived up to the expectations of God. And so we can plead innocent before God. And if you do, you are going to, we are going to be found guilty. And the judgment will be that we will spend a very long time in a very dark place different kind of death. Long story short, Leopold and Loeb pleaded guilty. The judge gave them life and imprisonment and they were off to Joliet in Illinois. Loeb concluded that he got away with it because he was still alive. And there are stories that he continued his criminal ways while he was inside the prison and essentially was uh, uh, knifed to death in the shower 11 years later. Leopold, on the other hand, was grateful, responded differently, concluded, I've been given my life. He went on to help uh, develop the library at Joliet, helped prisoners get their GED, studied enough to uh, learn many more languages, studied enough to earn the equivalent of a medical doctor, and ended up working in the prison hospital. And he was released from prison in 1959, moved to Puerto Rico, and worked in a clinic there. He had a very different response to the judgment of the judge. How do you respond 
if you are, if you plead guilty and God gives you your life back, not just here and now, but forever. It's like the two thieves on the cross on either side of Jesus. One yelled and screamed at him and said, ha, 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 if you are the son of God, you know, ask God to save you from your predicament right now. And the other thief on the other side says, do you not have, do you have no shame? Jesus, remember me this day when you go into paradise. And Jesus said, this day you will be with me. How are you going to respond? Are you going to be like Richard Leopold and be grateful? I mean, Richard, Richard Loeb and be grateful? I mean, wait a minute. Nathan Leopold and be grateful? Or are you going to be Richard Loeb and be angry and defiant? I want to end this way. What if? We had a great what if moment last week. Let me do it again. What if someone comes to the authorities and say, you know what? Bobby Franks, the murder victim, is alive. I saw him buying ice cream at a dairy in Hammond, Indiana. What are the authorities going to do? Then someone else comes up and say, hey, you know what? Bobby Franks is alive. I saw him playing tennis at a tennis club in Oak Lawn, Illinois. What happens? If that is true, the state of Illinois is obligated to release Leopold and Loeb because there is no crime. Bobby Franks is alive. He's alive. And not only that, you will be, not only will you be released from prison, your record will be expunged. It will be as if it never happened. That's the incredible good news that God offers us. In spite of our sin, in spite of turning our backs on God, in spite of not living up to God's expectations, in spite of the bad thoughts, the bad behavior, the wrongful motivations, or whatever it may be, God says, if you will plead guilty, I will forgive you. And I will treat you as if it never happened that you get a second chance on the basis of your first chance. And I will not hold it together because I will not remember it. That's how great our God is. That's how much God loves us. facts. The facts are, and we know this from not just the testimony of, of the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We know from the Roman historian Tacitus that there was a man who 
named Jesus who lived in Israel. They know from, we know from Tacitus that there was a governor by the name of Pilate. We know from Tacitus that Jesus was uh, executed. We know from the Jewish historian Josephus that Jesus is a real figure. And not only is Jesus historical in the sense that he actually lived, Easter is historic. It has significance for all of us through all of time for us here today. This morning, if you have never said yes to Jesus, say, yes, I now understand in a new way what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. I want to give you the opportunity to say, yes, I will follow you wherever you may lead me. And what I would like to do is after worship, I'm going to be standing right here. And I want you to come and to tell me. Maybe at the very least, there are these little envelopes that says giving on them, ignore the giving. But if you would put your name, your email address on it, I would be happy. PCC will respond to you. And we want to rejoice with you as we will rejoice with people who are being baptized a little bit later in the service. If you have questions, and some of you might have questions, what I have said may be a little confused. I invite you to come and see me and ask your questions and give me your name and your email address. I do this because I understand that God loves you and wants you to live your best life, and not just your best life, God's best life for you. Pray. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, our God. I'm grateful for your love for each one of us. Help us to know the significance and the wonder that you, by raising Jesus from the dead, have gained a victory over sin, over Satan, over death, and that we might live with you for the rest of our lives here on earth, but throughout eternity with you in heaven. If there are people here, Lord God, whose heart may be beating a little fast right now because of what has been said, I pray, Lord, that you encourage them to come forward because I believe it's the Holy Spirit touching them, speaking to them, nudging them to come forward and to say, yes, I've decided to follow, or no, I still have questions. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the gift of forgiveness, for the gift of everlasting life with you. Amen. Thank you for tuning into our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. 
We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.